Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Losing the Plot. I'm Leo Robertson. I find artists of all varieties I find interesting. They're usually writers, they don't have to be. And uh, we talk about their work, we talk about life, we talk about anything and everything. We lose the plot together, hence the title of the show. As always, we start with the latest of what's going on over at Aphotic Realm. Uh, issue number seven is out now, it's gruesome. Who doesn't love over-the-top 80s horror films? A punk band fights off a horde of possessed fans at a local concert. A makeout session at the cemetery takes a turn for the worst. Slashers, critters, demons, gore, hairspray. The 80s horror B-movie aesthetic is what issue 7 gruesome is all about, so do check that out. The Realm also has its own merch store right on the Aphotic Realm site itself. Uh, you can buy t-shirts, beanies, caps and tank tops. And if you check out the new Aphotic Realm Instagram, you can see yours truly sporting an Aphotic Realm t-shirt uh, in the dark grey heather colour. I think it's great. And uh, there's loads of cool other merch. I'm sure I will get other stuff too. And uh, I hope you will as well. Please do check out the merch in the store. Finally, I hope you will consider supporting Aphotic Realm on Patreon. As a patron, you'll get early access to podcast episodes such as this one. Um, you can also uh, get digital downloads of all Aphotic books as well. So do check that out. Please consider supporting Aphotic Realm on Patreon also. I wrote this thing. I hope you like it. Let's talk about it, yeah. Let's lose track. Losing the plot podcast. Losing the plot podcast. Losing the plot podcast. Talking to Leo. Our guest this episode is Chad Lutsky. He's a dark fiction author based in Michigan. His latest book is The Pale White. It's a very dark novella. It's out now with Crystal Lake Publishing. I hope you'll check it out. I really appreciated the chance to get to chat to Chad about his work and I hope you enjoy it. Here it is. So your latest book is The Pale White. It comes out pretty soon. It actually just came out yesterday. Brilliant. Um, it's, it's quite, uh, I don't know, a difficult subject matter, right? Is this, uh, how did you decide to write about it, about this? Um, I, initially I just planned to write a, another coming of age thing, but I wanted to use females this time because I hadn't done that before. And originally it was going to be, uh, a vampire thing where all the girls were going to be vampires and. They were not going to know they were vampires until um, they were given some information along with uh, contact information for all of the people who had wronged them. And then they were going to go on this West Coast bloody road trip uh, full of revenge and murder and killing uh, to get back at those who wronged them. And then uh, after writing about a third of that, I scrapped the whole thing and started over again and then and then rewrote it again in a different tense. <clears throat> but yeah, for the most part, I just wanted to, uh, to, I, I, I'm not sure why I picked the topic that I did as far as the, you know, the, the, uh, sex trafficking. It's, uh, 
I know that it's a big problem. It's a, I think it's probably a much bigger problem than, than we know that it is. Mm. And, um, you know, I, I, I mean, I try not to linger on that and deal more with like the aftermath and, and trying to heal and move on from, if at all possible from, from that kind of trauma. Hmm. Why was the, so the all female cast was important to you because you'd never done something like that before, but was it important for other reasons? Uh, not, not really. Um, as, as I was writing it, I realized that, um, after I'd started, I, I realized that female readers don't have like a, they don't have like a boy's life. You know, they don't have like the quintessential oh. female centric coming of age book that they can. <clears throat> I mean, I'm sure they're out there. I just off the top of my head, I, I can't think of any, any, I know Grady Hendricks put a wonderful book out, uh, within the last couple of years, my best friend's exorcism and, that's female centric coming of age. Great book, mm. but I just don't think that there's enough of them. And I realized that after, you know, I was like halfway through the book and I was like, maybe, you know, maybe, uh, so then I started to get stressed thinking here I am this guy, you know, what do I know? And I'm writing in a first person narrative with a female. And so I better make this, uh, you know, I better make <laughs> this work. Were you thinking in particular of any, females that you know when you were writing these characters? No, not anybody in particular. Um, unfortunately, I know a lot of uh, women who have gone through uh, sexual trauma, e even one who has been involved in a sex trafficking ring. Mm. And I know that I know the kind of trauma that they go through. And I know that it's not something that they experience and then it's gone. It always it always lingers. And it affects um, their, you know, uh, uh, many, many different aspects of their life, and it and it's and it stays with them. Some of them uh, deal with it better than others, um, and some of it they just let it <clears throat> kind of. It just takes over their whole whole life, um, their future decision making, and their ability to cope. And I think that's why I try to kind of paint different pictures and different ways of dealing with the three different girls, even though they'd been through, you know, different, you know, for different, you know, one of the girls had only been in there for a year. One had been in there for like a decade. One had been in her whole life, mm -hmm. essentially nine years. So, but despite that length of time there, I know that there's always, um, there's no, despite the sexual trauma that a girl might go through, mm -hmm. um, there seems to be no real, um, it's all about perspective. Like one, one could be, you know, um, for the sake of, of sounding kind of, uh, uh, grim, one could be all out, you know, raped and then one could be, you know, molested maybe uh, one time or whatever, but it's all this, it, it, it all this, it causes the same amount of damage and they have different perspectives. It's not like one deals with things um, <clears throat> better just because they haven't had this extreme. It's all extreme. Mm. And so, but again, you know, uh, those scars are presented uh, in, in different ways. And so I just tried to, uh, you know, capture that the, the best I could without having experience, but knowing and, and seeing um, people in my life that have, had to go through that and continue to, to try and deal with that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. I mean, 
I think the book displays that very well. I think the point, yeah, I mean, I, the point you're making is very astute that the the severity and the duration of trauma certainly affects, you know, certainly does tell you a lot about how badly somebody is going to be affected by it, but it's also affected by things like nature and nurture, who they are as people and and, and their willpower and what, what they're going to decide yeah. how much they're going to decide this is going to affect them right yeah yeah a lot of a lot of these girls they feel a lot of shame and guilt um despite it not being their fault at all and and i think that's uh something that they hold on to too and that's very very sad hmm but i mean also like i i it's a touchy topic but i feel like it, all writers are allowed to attempt anything they're they're allowed to put themselves in the head of anyone i think it's just always understood that it comes from a certain person's perspective do you agree with it that should i do agree with that but I, I i know that not everyone sees it like that which is a shame um i mean for the most part i think people agree you know if you're a writer you know or, or making a movie or a painting or, or you know some being creative you you can't be expected to just you know, stay inside this box and write literally only what you know. Mm -hmm. um, if that were the case, then we wouldn't have, you know, Middle Earth and we wouldn't have uh, uh, Hogwarts and stuff like that. Um, so, you know, you, you can't be expected to, you know, have, be so limited. But it, it was something that was, uh, because it's touchy and because I'm a male writing as that, mm -hmm. um, I try to be as careful and sensitive as I as I could, and try to try to deal with it with tact and not bog it down with unnecessary uh, illicit details. But like the project with my podcast, I mean, everyone has their own angle. I'm I'm really interested in the person behind the books, but I I know that um, I mean, that may or may not be important. Uh, you have pointed out that you know you you know women who have gone through this trauma, and that certainly, I'm sure, did inform this book. And I don't think that it's indulgent at all. I get it's a similar question, I suppose. But like, is is it important to you that you're writing from experience? Mm, not <clears throat> not necessarily. Um, I consider myself to be uh, almost a hyper -em empathetic person. Hmm. In, so when I hear somebody going through something, I really, um, I really connect like on a profound level to the point where it's almost, uh, almost a curse. I can hear some bad news. Um, it doesn't even have to be, uh, from someone that I know, uh, just, just, just hear about it and, and it can ruin my whole day because I, I automatically just throw myself in their shoes and I just imagine what they're going through, what their family might be going through. And I just, uh, take it all in. And, and so in, in my everyday life, uh, it's a, that's part is a real drag, but I think it's helpful, um, when I write, because then I feel like I'm maybe able to uh, connect a little bit more and, you know, build empathetic characters. Hmm. I, I completely relate to that. I think people, <laughs> I'm, I'm one of the most sensitive people I know and people it, it's real, uh, it's, it's really difficult. People get really annoyed at me. Like, why are you taking that so seriously? Why are you Why are you getting so involved? You know. Um, yeah. Do you, is that Do you think that's a typical writer's temperament? 
No, I don't. I, I, I don't know that it is, and I don't know that that's even what it takes to uh, be good at um, writing uh, empathy. You know, hmm. I, I don't know. I, I can only, I guess, speak for myself. I, I don't know that, that that's typical or not. Where do you think that hyper empathy comes from in you? Um, I've been through some difficult times in my life, I think. And, uh, some of the times happened where, you know, where I felt invincible at the time. Um, and then things would happen and you just kind of realize that <clears throat> anything can happen at any moment. And, um, and it, and it does. And, and when you start to see stuff happen, you know, when I was younger, I would see stuff happen on the news or I would hear stories about things happening, you know, people dying or, or traumatic things happening to people. And it always just felt, it almost felt like uh, it was, it didn't really happen because I wasn't seeing it in front of me. So it never really affected me. You know, you could turn on the news and see <clears throat> people getting shot or, or bombed or whatever in another country. And it just somehow, especially when you're young, it has a tendency not to really do much because it just feels like, and maybe it's because we're desensitized from, from watching, you know, horror movies and stuff like that. But when something hits close to home, yeah, I think that maybe that's where that came from. And just having some, you know, some hard roads in, in my life, it has probably just uh, helped me to sympathize and empathize with, with stuff that, um, other people might be experiencing because, you know, I, I, I've been there. I mean, you know, I haven't been there like with these girls in the book and, mm. and other women, women that I know that, that has gone through this trauma, but I do know trauma and I do know loss and I know grief. And, uh, and so, you know, that it's, a, it's to go through something like that, I guess, uh, you know, as I got older and wiser, um, and life kind of got scarier. Maybe I just um, was able to, I guess that's how it happened. You know, just life experience. Hmm. Yeah, it's, um. yeah, I, I understand this idea of like you build an emotional skill set and then you can kind of ex extrapolate from there. You go, okay, I've not been in a situation that bad, but I, I remember when I was one that was less bad and then I'll just dial up the volume so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, you mention. I mean, I imagine you must be a fan of horror films, though, even if you think that. Do you think that they desensitize people? Um, well, sure. Yeah. I mean, look at uh, look how horrified people were. Uh, I mean, of course, we weren't alive at the time, but we hear about the people being horrified of uh, like Frankenstein with mm. Boris Karloff. Mm. And now. Um, you know, I, my, I remember my, my youngest son when he was, I think he was six or seven, he wanted to watch a horror movie. So I actually put on, it was either Frankenstein or the creature from the black lagoon. And he just couldn't stop laughing. There was nothing, <laughs> you know, scary about it at all. And, and even though he hadn't seen horror, whether it be from video games or maybe just images, you know, maybe a magazine covers that he would see or book covers that he would see, or, or even just regular TV, um, it just wasn't, um, it wasn't scary at all to him. So I, you know, each, my, my kids are several years apart. 
I have three and they're all, they're all 10 years apart, nine to 10 years apart. Mm-hmm. And so they've all been through, um, you know, if I, if they want to be introduced to a horror movie, you know, I try to start real tame and, um, the movies nowadays are, um, a far cry and probably, I, w- I don't, I would, I don't know that I would say more grittier, um, because, you know, Chainsaw Massacre was in, in the 70s, and that's about as gritty as you can get. But mm. I think you, you see more of that type of uh, gritty film, whereas Texas Chainsaw at the at the time was just such an outlier for um, for the type of movie that it was. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I, I do think that, that we do get desensitized, especially um, – or even with, like, jump scares. You know, if I'm watching – a movie with uh, my youngest, who's 14, if we're watching something and it has all these typical tropes and typical jump scares that that most of us have seen just to death and it bores us, for mm-hmm. them, it's something new. Yeah. You know, just like uh, we're bored of slashers because, <clears throat> except for maybe, you know, for nostalgia or whatever, mm-hmm. but it's been done. It's been done to death. And, and you put somebody else that hasn't seen that before and, um, but over time, you know, it, it does get boring and drag on and you, it's like beating this dead horse, mm-hmm. I guess. Uh, what was the, so I, I mean, I started, I'm, I'm 30 and I started the first scary thing I remember was an episode of, uh, the X-Files. I don't know if you know the one, um, with tombs and he has the yellow eyes. Um, is it the yellow eyes? Is that the one where the guy squeezes through everything? Yes, exactly. So yeah. I just I just saw that again last week. Oh, yeah. did you? No way. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because I saw that when I was. I mean, it's not that scary, I don't think. But no. But I saw that when I was like ten, and then every every time I saw a dark space in the house, I thought I was going to see those yellow eyes for like yeah, a, it, it, for it a was year. Creepy. You have this this human being squeezing in places that are supposed to you know be safe. Hmm. And and he's yeah. So the, actually, it was creepy. Oh, it's still creepy. Yeah, <laughs> I haven't seen it in a while, but that's it's good to know. But what was um, what was the first thing that did that for you? The thing that really scared you? Um, I think it was probably. I don't know that it was a movie as much as hearing, uh, stories from people about like ghost stories. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to see a ghost so bad, but at the same time, I was scared to death of of having anything like that happen to me. But I do remember <clears throat> seeing uh, The Exorcist was on TV, and it was a heavily edited version. And this was probably um, the late seventies or early eighties, and I couldn't, I could not watch it. I had to. It was terrifying. I, I had to shut it off. But in the late seventies, there was a couple of other made-for-TV movies that that had not necessarily as a whole, but kind of had haunting images in it that that stuck with me and creeped me out. But I I don't know that I can pinpoint a single movie that that really started it all. Hmm. But when you came to writing, did you know you were going to write horror? Do you think that you do write horror? Um. No, I mean, I call it usually dark fiction because mm-hmm. it's arguably not horror. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, unless it's a short story, I, I normally stay away from supernatural things or, or creature feature type stuff. Um, 
I've been known to do that in, in you know, with short stories, but in, in novellas, I, I just don't, I don't write, you know, a full length book with that kind of subject matter, more of human horror, but like, but more just like, a, you know, dark, uh, dark fiction, I guess. I'm really interested in, you know, that you, you speak about trauma and the aftermath of trauma. Um, what, what does it mean to you to heal from trauma? Um, <clears throat> that's a good question. Um, I mean, obviously the, the, the scars are, are, you know, are still always going to be there. I'm, <clears throat> I'm a firm believer that time does heal. I don't think that time erases, but I think that it does heal. I think that things get easier. And no matter how far away you get from the trauma, <clears throat> you're still going to have like bad moments. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't, <clears throat> like I said, yeah, I think that I, I believe that, in, that time heals, but it doesn't, it doesn't erase. And you're always going to really just depend, depending on what you're going through. I mean, if we're talking about loss or, or, you know, like sexual trauma or, uh, witnessing something that you really wish you hadn't. Um, yeah, those more of like a haunting thing, hopefully not, not, you know, disruptive to your life. But, um, yeah, that's a really good question. I don't know if I have a great answer for it. I, I, I don't know the answer either. I think I just wanted to know your perspective, but it seems to me that what it just, I think it is a general principle that like once your life gets tough, it just kind of makes all situations tough thereafter. It's like you're kind of unfairly picked for something and you're just going to have a tougher time than other people. Plus, you have to not make that their problem. It's like a, all these burdens kind of compound. Yeah, I mean, we've all got our you know stuff that we deal with um, on, on different levels and different areas in our life. And um, I don't know that any one person, you know, really skates through that. I guess a lot of it is perspective and, and how you choose to handle it. You know, if you, if you want to go out and get drunk every night because you're coping, that's, I don't know that that's going to really, uh, help your problems. Um, maybe for a minute, but <laughs> if anything, it'll probably make them worse. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess then that these, uh, I guess then that these things that come into your life, uh, probably do make you more compassionate to people because yeah, for one, like you say, you, I mean, you don't know what they're going through and perhaps they are drinking so much because of something that you don't know. And also just the notion that, um, everyone is to some extent incredibly brave just for being alive because these things, as you say, can come around at any time and they absolutely do. Right. Sure. Yeah. Uh, I mean, life, life is tough, man. You know, how does fiction come into that? What does fiction do? What did it do for you? I think it's, um, it can be therapeutic. Um, I've wrote uh, about, I've written about like, uh, certain fears of mine. Um, and initially I think I, I wanted to stay away from that, but I found myself writing about it instead. And, and I think that that can be, um, uh, therapeutic. 
Um, just like with, you know, if someone's painting, making a film or, or writing music, any kind of art like that, I think is, uh, can be really helpful. And I think horror, um, can be like that too. I think that people digest it differently. Some, uh, some really revel in it <clears throat> and they get, uh, they really get comfortable with them with that kind of like, uh, and, you know, there's a term for this, too. The, the people, I don't know what it's called, but the people who like, you know, gloomy settings and rainy days and, you know, just a uh, bleak kind of atmosphere. And um, and then there are others who <clears throat> they do not like uh, anything horrifying at all, despite it being around them in, in real life. You know, and I'm speaking of fiction, like they don't like to, you know, horror films or anything like that. But I think the people who are writing horror or or producing or films and stuff like that. I think that we have a tendency to, to maybe find some comfort in there. And maybe that has to do with, um, because it's a fictional setting. And so we're able to explore something that's, that's scary, but safe. Mm -hmm. You know, we're not, not really going through it and it's not going to happen. Um, so it, it, we get to kind of experience it in a, uh, like a, in a, almost a safe environment, kind of, kind of, I don't know why this popped in my head, but the, the hollow deck in, in the enterprise on star Trek, mm -hmm. when they go in there and they can experience all this wild stuff that, that isn't, uh, that isn't real. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Uh, you make an interesting point as well, which is as much as it is, you know, an enjoyment of scares, the therapy of scary situations, it's also an aesthetic as well. It's like, some people just enjoy a horror flavor of story. Yeah. Um, yeah. My wife thinks I'm, you know, sometimes when I'm, when I'm tired and I just want to relax and I will lay in bed and watch TV and I'll put shutter on and I'll put like the worst slasher or something like slumber <laughs> party massacre. And it's just a bad, horrible movie. And the dialogue is horrendous. The acting is just terrible. And she just, she'll walk in and be like, what are you watching? How can you watch this? And it's like, I realize that I'm watching something that I can't share with anybody else. And, but for whatever reason, reason, I am, I am really like getting off on it. I am, I mean, you know, it could, it could be nostalgia. I don't know what it is, but I'm enjoying as bad as it is. I'm, I'm, you know, thoroughly enjoying it. And she, she definitely doesn't share that with me. That's your comfort foods. Yeah. <laughs> That's straight. Well, like, what do you, what do you guys watch together? We watch a lot of, uh, um, series stuff like, mm. uh, you know, TV series, uh, right now we're watching, uh, the center on Netflix and we discovered a show called Boston legal mm -hmm. because we're a big James Spader's fan and, he, and he's on that. And, uh, yeah, just any kind of, um, series on netflix or or hulu she's not a big horror movie fan sometimes i'll get her to watch i think the last couple of movies i got her to watch horror films she did like i i i made her watch uh it follows and hereditary and she both really liked those surprisingly because hereditary is horrifying tell me about your involvement with uh shock totem um <clears throat> About a year, a year and a half ago, I, uh, well, I'm really good friends with um, John Bowden, who has been part of the editorial staff with, with Shock Totem for quite a long time. And uh, 
uh, we've become uh, pretty much best best online buddies. And uh, he and then I and then I got to kind of befriend a couple of other people on the staff. And there had been a hiatus for a, at least a couple of years with Shock Totem. And mm-hmm. he asked if I wanted to. John asked if I wanted to help out and be part of <clears throat> a, a, maybe a resurrection issue. So we just came together and we had a meeting and we talked about some stuff. And uh, um, I tried to be a kind of a driving force with because uh, we had some issues with um, trying to uh, we want we wanted the issue to the next issue to come out. Uh, much sooner than it has and it's been a really really long process mm-hmm. but um it's been uh for the most part it's been a pleasure getting to know those other people more and being a part of that in particular uh reading that much slush which i've done before but i i think that every i think that every writer should be in a position at some point to tackle a a, a bunch of that amount of slush like that because um, it, I, I think it helps you as a writer because then you start to realize what editors might be looking for. You know, we got over 800 stories and we, you know, when you get that many stories and you can't possibly read every story from the very beginning to the very end. Um, I don't know any place that does that. Hmm. I, 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 I did it one time I, when I had an open call for an anthology that I put out and I, but that was only a hundred store or yeah, a hundred submissions. Mm-hmm. And I read every single one, but when you get that many, there's no sense in moving past the first two or three pages. If the writing is just horrible and everything is cliche from the first sentence, there's just no sense in going on. Mm. So <clears throat> it just kind of, it, it, it kind of helps you, you know, like be in that editor mindset and realize, man, you know, I should probably have my first page, like really, really, you know, uh, capture them right away because if they're getting, you know, a thousand submissions and, you know, they just want to get to the end of this and my story sucks the first two pages and then picks up, that's not gonna, that's not gonna cut it. So that was, that was a a neat experience. Still Mm. working on the issue. I'm, I'm not exactly sure what's going on right now, but there's a lot of really cool stuff uh, in that in that issue. Do um, the writing credentials mean anything when you're reading these stories? No, 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 no. Um, for the most part, uh, I mean, the author's name was there, and the you know they would be sometimes they would include a bio or whatever. But I would I would for the most part. Uh, ignore it or or at least try to the only time that it kind of made me nervous if is if i recognize a name that um was maybe an acquaintance of mine or a friend of mine because then it makes it a little bit more difficult to to say no Mm -hmm. even even though you you're going to if if it's not up to par but it just makes it i don't know maybe more uncomfortable to to have to say no but no there's no um there's not any kind of uh um, there, I, I have never seen anybody um, submit a story, and then all of us go, "Well, we should take this because you know this guy is real big right now." Yeah. That just that doesn't happen at all. Hmm. No, of course not. Um... I, I mean, I know that it does 
in some places, I'm sure. Um, you know, if you get a story from Josh Merlerman, that's going to be really hard to say no to, I guess, you know, mm-hmm. because, you know, that's probably going to sell. But, um, yeah, but we haven't, no, we haven't done that. And, and for the most part, we've, you know, the name is normally the last, unless it catches my eye or whatever, it's normally the last thing I look at or, or even reading the bio or whatever. You just want to get to the story. Yeah. Um, do you solicit fiction from people in particular or is just anyone's invited? Um, we had, uh, I, I had come up with the idea that we all, uh, solicit an author Mm -hmm. and we talked about the ones that we were going to solicit so that we could agree. Mm -hmm. And, um, uh, then we had an open call and that's where we got the 800 in. So we had, you know, we, we had solicited, I can't remember how many it was somewhere around, I think four or five. And then we had the 800 stories from the open call. Matter matter of fact, we had to shut the window for the open call early Mm -hmm. because the response was, uh, a little overwhelming. Hmm. How about with your own writing? I mean, you write short stories, you write novellas, you write novels. Do you have a favorite format? Do you have one that you're going to specialize in? What do you think? Um, I don't have any favorite. I don't think it just depends on the idea. Some ideas I can tell right away. It's just a short story. And Mm. and then other ideas I can tell it's longer. Um, The ideas that I have that are like really long, to be honest, I've probably stayed away from and just kept them in my idea file Mm -hmm. um, because I just like to... uh, you know, my books are relatively short, you know, with the exception of one, they're all novellas. And, um, I think that that has to do with, uh, I try not to have any filler and, and, and I usually start, um, pale white, for example, it could have been, I could have had, you know, 150 pages of these girls living in this house and what they go through. Um, but I just started to start at the end of, of, of their time at the house and just get right into it immediately. And that's just kind of, I don't know why I do that. Uh, I, and maybe that's because, um, that's how I enjoy reading. Mm-hmm. Uh, things, things are just kind of happen right away. And hopefully, um, you know, I don't, I don't think that every, you know, I love Stephen King, but I'm reading it right now. And there's, a, oh man, there's probably 200 pages I've read so far, at least that, that probably didn't even need to really be in there. I could never write something like that and just have so much padding. And, um, if I think that, especially for someone who's, you know, Stephen King can pull it off because he's so well known and and people are going to read it. But if I present somebody a, you know, 800 page book, the the chances of it being read are are probably not very good. Mm -hmm. Are you, so, I mean, now you're at the stage where you're like living off writing your own fiction, right? If you don't mind me asking. I do have a part-time job that that was full-time until about, um, maybe a year ago and I take it down to part-time. I'm not ready to to quit just yet. I mean, Mm -hmm. that's the goal. It would be great if I could just focus on, on writing. Um, you know, I, I have to, to you know, put the books out and then I get invited to anthologies and then I, I, I try to keep, um, my Patreon page going 
and give them um, exclusive content, you know, short stories that, that in things that aren't published anywhere else. Mm-hmm. So that that keeps him busy. But I would man, I would love to be able to focus on just that so that I could, uh, you know, not even have to work uh, part time. Yeah. What about um, do you have like particular stories that you do you just write the next thing or do you have stories that you're like, oh, I can't I can't wait until I write that one. Um, I've got a couple stories that I'm looking forward to being able to get to, but I can't right now because of, you know, just other stuff that's going on. I'm writing a couple collaboration pieces, mm-hmm. uh, which are fun in, 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 uh, yeah, don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm really excited about getting to them, but as far as like my solo stuff, um, if for now, anyway, now that the pale white is out that those are kind of the, on the back burner, but I'm looking forward to you know, getting to them. And that has happened before. I've been in, in the middle of writing a book, came up with a great idea for another book, and I just couldn't get done fast enough with the one mm-hmm. because my mind was, you know, really trailing off into this other territory and, and I wanted to get there. The Pale White is out now. Um, is there anything else forthcoming that you want to let us know about? Um, I just had my book of Foster Homes and Flies released in hardcover uh, about a week ago by Poltergeist Press. Nice. Beautiful. They did a great job on that. Um, and then uh, I have a, uh, a handful of anthologies coming out. Um, Midnight in the Graveyard, I think is the name of one of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's coming out through uh, Silver Shamrock. Right. Publishing. And that'll be out. That's been everywhere. I'm sure everyone's seen it by now. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's got some great authors in it, including, uh, uh, Robert McCammon. And, um, yeah, I think that's going to be, I think it's comes out in October and I believe it's up for pre-order right now. And then there's a, uh, charity anthology that I was invited to, um, that's coming out called dark tides. And I believe that's also coming out in October. And I have a story in that along with, uh, a, a bunch of great authors, uh, including Neil Gaiman and Stephen King um, and uh, some of my peers. So I'm, I'm excited about that too. I'm real proud of uh, both of those stories that are in those books. And there's a couple of other things that don't have release dates, but um, other than that, I don't have any, uh, I'm writing, like I said, I'm writing a couple of things with, I'm writing a book with John Bowden right now. We hope to have that out uh, before the end of the year. Mm-hmm. And then um uh, I'm writing a book with John and Bob Ford mm-hmm. that I have, that's just, uh, it's in the toddler stages right now. So there's, there's no idea when that could be out, but that should be a blast. I really, I'm glad we managed to set this up. I really appreciate your time. Yeah, Leo, thanks a lot. And I really appreciate you taking the time to read the book too. Oh, absolutely. It, it's a, it's a great book. I can't wait to recommend it to my listeners. Uh, the Pale White is out now with Crystal Lake Publishing. Thank you so much for listening. If you are a reader, writer, editor, you know, anyone who wants to come on the show, anyone who wants to tell me anything about it, you can always do so using losingtheplotpodcast at gmail.com. And I look forward to hearing from you. But until next time, bye-bye.